There's a lot of stories still to tell here. A lot of bad stuff. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI 92.9, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream uh, coast to coast and around the globe every day. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week, you can run but you can't hide. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, an all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Yes, I might like to hide uh, every now and again with what's going on, uh, but it's not easy. Uh, as of Wednesday night, Hurricane Harvey was calculated to have dumped some 21 trillion, trillion gallons of rain, according to Weather Bell meteorologist Ryan Maui. That amount, he says, could, get this, Desi Doyen, yep. fill the Great Pyramid of Giza Nearly 31,000 times. I know Ben Carson thinks it's uh, hollow, so but uh, it's actually <laughs> it's not. But if it was, 31,000 times it could be filled. It could fill up more than half of the very, very deep Lake Tahoe. Oh, wow. It could uh, fill 32 million Olympic-sized swimming pools. 32 million. And it, uh, if it was flowing over Niagara Falls, it would flow for 321 days. That's how much water. 321 days over, of Niagara Falls correct. flow. Correct. And wow. I've been trying to uh, make the point about just how bad, how difficult this disaster is for so many uh, in Houston and areas nearby, now in uh, Louisiana as well. It is just an unspeakable disaster. We are only now just beginning uh, uh, to learn how bad it is. The confirmed death toll has topped 30 as of today. Officials expect that co to continue to climb, however. Um, we will have uh, more on Harvey in uh, your latest Green News report. Yes. Desi Doyen uh, in a bit. But that, chem uh, that uh, pen pending, it was pending, uh, that pending chemical plant disaster that we discussed on yesterday's show looks like it has now come to pass. Today, with two explosions at this Arkema plant in Crosby, Texas, north of Houston, 
and potentially more explosions, more fire there to come, yes. officials say? Uh, yes, it does appear that um, these aren't huge explosions. We're not talking about the entire plant going up in a conflagration. What we're talking about, what the uh, officials say, is that these uh, volatile chemicals that must be kept cool, they were putting them into containers, you mm-hmm. know, big uh, shipping containers, if you can imagine those, um, at various places around the property. So what we're talking about are shipping containers essentially exploding and sending up plumes of smoke and fire, but they seem to be downplaying the uh, the level of explosive, explosions going on here. And the, and the danger from the toxins that are yes. released into the air. But we have this uh, odd, uh, curious difference still at this hour in these responses to it between state and federal officials. Uh, how much do we know about how dangerous those explosions or, or, or fires actually are, never mind their explosive power? Well, you'll be shocked to know we don't know a whole lot. Really? <laughs> yes, unfortunately. Um, in a press conference on Thursday, uh, Matt Dempsey of the Houston Chronicle asked, well, okay, so we know chemical experts have shown us that there is a neutralizing compound that you can pour on these volatile chemicals. It will, of course, destroy them as something that you can sell later, but it will totally neutralize them. Why didn't you use that? And the CEO at this press conference would not comment on why the neutralizing agent wasn't used, wouldn't answer whether or not it was even at the property itself and said that he doesn't know the chemistry of the chemicals involved and so he can't comment. And he would release, uh, he doesn't know, he doesn't know or he won't say and they would not release details about what was actually in or what is actually in that plant. Uh, And now because of that, uh, you got a lot of people guessing apparently. Uh, Officials, uh, company officials and uh, state officials in Texas are saying, oh, it's nothing to worry about. Right. No, no big deal. These are toxic uh, plumes. Uh, maybe that is true, but because they were not forthcoming with that information, we don't know. And at the same time, we've got the federal uh, br- the, the FEMA disaster, uh, Brock Long, the administrator of FEMA. Yes. Um, saying that this is incredibly dangerous plumes of smoke. So we don't really know. And uh, Texas has not made it any easier for us to find out that after that huge explosion in the town of West Texas back in 2013, killed 15 people at a a chemical fertilizer plant near houses and schools and an, uh, an elderly assisted living home where residents had been unaware of the dangers of the plant. And so after that explosion, uh, Texas made their regulations much better so people could... Why, why are you laughing? Oh, because you know that, well, it depends on, on who they made them much better for. Let's just say they made them better for the chemical industry. Well, they did make that. Uh, they actually put restrictions on the disclosure of the chemicals that are kept in all of these plants near all of these towns. So right. anyway, we got a little bit more on that in uh, in the Green News Report coming up and other late Harvey developments. Uh, Also coming up, we head to the uh, nation's capital where Congress will be reconvening after the uh, Labor Day holiday to uh, to a, a schedule, to a, a, a boatload of must-pass bills that, uh, frankly, have now gotten even more ridiculously overpacked and likely contentious than suspected just one week ago before Hurricane Harvey barreled into Texas and Louisiana. Uh, so will that ongoing disaster make this uh, legislation that they must pass 
any and not not to mention the the legislation that they want to pass, including huge tax cuts. Uh, so will that disaster make things harder or easier for Congress to get stuff done? What fresh hell awaits us? In the month of September, we'll be joined by a reporter in D.C. to discuss that momentarily. But first, a few other items of note today. New sanctions against North Korea could prove, quote, dangerous, according to Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. This was a warning issued uh, to Secretary of State Rex Tillerson in a phone call on Wednesday night. Details of that call were reported by the Associated Press, uh, and based on a readout of the call distributed by the Russian Foreign Ministry, because as of Thursday morning, the State Department had not yet released its own readout. Well, wow. We, I guess, don't do that anymore, so we rely on the other countries to tell us what happened. That, uh, that call followed a declaration earlier on Wednesday from Donald Trump that, quote, the U.S. has been talking to North Korea and paying them uh, extortion money for 25 years. He said talking is not the answer. That was what he tweeted. Um, what the answer is, if not talking, uh, he didn't say, at least in that tweet. North Korea has been ramping up its aggression in recent months, launching multiple ballistic missile tests. Some of the missiles, it is believed, would have been capable of reaching the continental U.S. Yes, that is still ongoing. The U.S. in turn uh, has ramped up its own aggression in response to North Korea, with Trump promising fire and fury against uh, this isolated nation, warning that we are locked and loaded even while carrying out joint exercises with uh, South Korea that the North has long seen as a preparation for war. North Korea responded, you'll recall, with a threat to attack the uh, Pacific Island nation of Guam, which is a U.S. territory. Uh, it would be the most vulnerable to a North Korean missile of, uh, of U.S. territories in any, in any event. They promised uh, enveloping fire against Guam, and they sent a missile over northern Japan several days ago, which broke up over the sea. According to Russia's uh, foreign ministry, again, because our own State Department no longer seems to find it necessary to inform the American people about such things, both Lavrov and Tillerson condemned that most recent North Korean test during the call, um, which uh, which fired that intermediate range missile over Japan. But Lavrov told Tillerson that a fresh set of sanctions, new sanctions in response to that, on top of the recently instituted package that was imposed by the U.N., that uh, made North Korea so furious in the first place. And the new sanctions, Lavrov said, would be, quote, counterproductive and dangerous. Good. Hopefully uh, someone lets the president know that. Hopefully someone lets uh, the Defense Department know that. I think they know that. Well, I think they know that. But has anybody bothered to tell Trump about that? Because, you know, the Russian minister brings up a good point. You know, he says it's unproductive. And that talk has actually seemed to have escalated the situation. So yep. maybe it would be a good idea to not talk so much about it. And and to not keep imposing these sanctions uh, to make the situation worse and worse. It's escalating. At the same time, in uh, related-ish news, the relationship between the U.S. and Russia continues to deteriorate. Uh, the Trump administration ordered three Russian diplomatic facilities in the U.S. closed 
following the expulsion of American diplomats from Russia, according to the State Department uh, today. Last month, Russia had demanded that the U.S. diplomatic president pre- presence there be reduced by hundreds of people. That in retaliation for new sanctions passed by Congress and signed by the uh, by the president against Russia. In retaliation uh, to Russia's response, the State Department ordered the Russian government to close its uh, consulate general in San Francisco today, as well as a chancery annex in Washington, D.C., and a consular annex in New York City. This must be done by September 2, according to the State Department. So they've got just uh, they've, they've got to do this immediately. In other words, State Department spokesperson Heather Nauert formerly of Fox News, hmm. now of the State Department. We now have Fox News uh, essentially being the face for the State Department, which seems appropriate since Fox News is clearly the face of the White House itself these days. In any event, Nauert said the U.S. has uh, fully complied with Russia's demand to reduce staff at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow and a uh, another facility in St. Petersburg, She said uh, in her statement, we believe this action was unwarranted and detrimental to the overall relationship between our countries. This is a tit for tat U.S. response um, that uh, Nauert said, quote, is in the spirit of parody invoked by the Russians. Parity, not parody. Although at this point, parity and ITY. Yeah, this is all kind of parody at this point. Uh, she said, we have chosen to allow, we have chosen to allow the Russian government to maintain some of its annexes in an effort to arrest the downward spiral in our relationship. Oh, that is a good thing. Glad to hear that. However, she added that the U.S. is prepared to take further action as necessary and as warranted. So um, that, uh, I don't know if I think saber-rattling is, uh, is an overstatement there, but that's certainly that tit-for-tat um, that sort of uh, returns us to where we were in the Cold War when we used to do this all the time. We uh, expel a few diplomats. They expel, expel diplomats in exchange. Uh, they shut down an embassy. We shut down an embassy. So that's where we are. Uh, you know, I'm 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 reminded of uh, Stephen Colbert. What, what did he say that uh, if this is what winning looks like? Uh, I'm really getting so tired of so winning. So tired of all of this winning. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we are making America great again. Um, anyway, also this is uh, sort of related-ish news. It, it a very interesting. Very interesting turn in the special counsel investigation of Team Trump, or at least a potentially interesting one in any event, reported by Politico late Wednesday evening. Now, this is this is particularly interesting, uh, at least to me, given the pardon of the controversial Sheriff Joe Arpaio last week that we've been talking about, uh, which some saw as a signal that was being sent to members of Trump's campaign and to his administration to do not cooperate with the special counsel investigation because Trump would be more than happy to take care of you. He will pardon whoever needed to be pardoned. So don't sing to in federal investigators, for God's sake. There's no need to cooperate with them. That seemed to be the message that uh, Trump was sending. Well, now we have this report from Politico 
that suggests that that may change that calculus uh, at least a bit in a very interesting way, and that it may not be good news at all for Team Trump. Special counsel um, Robert Mueller's team is reportedly working with New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman on its investigation into former Trump campaign chair Paul Manafort. And his financial transactions, this according to several people familiar with the matter. The cooperation is the latest indication that the federal probe into Trump's former campaign chairman is intensifying. It also could potentially provide Mueller, this is where it gets interesting, provide Mueller with additional leverage to get Manafort to cooperate in the larger investigation into Trump's campaign as Trump does not have pardon power over state crimes. This report is from Josh Dawsey of, uh, of Politico, and uh, he gives no names here, so we have to sort of uh, take it on face value, but there is a lot of uh, detail here that uh, certainly sounds legit. Uh, he reports that the two teams... Uh, the Mueller team and the New York Attorney General have shared evidence and talked frequently in recent weeks about a potential case. One of the people familiar with the progress on the case said that both Mueller and Schneiderman's teams have collected evidence on financial crimes. No decision has been made yet on where or even whether to file charges. One of the people said nothing is imminent at this time. Manafort has not been accused of any wrongdoing right now. He has previously uh, denied any such wrongdoing. Uh, but people close to Manafort say that the team has pressured him by approaching family members and former business partners. So they're they're drawing a noose here for some reason around Manafort. A number of other firms and people who have uh, worked with him have also received subpoenas. Federal agents conducted an early morning raid at Manafort's home in late uh, in late July. But it's interesting that Mueller is now speaking with the attorney general in New York uh, and that the prospect of a presidential pardon would sort of be short circuited here if pressure is brought from New York state against Manafort and if the potential for charges against him in state court are brought forward. So he might have been able to say, uh, no, I got nothing to tell you, special counsel Mueller, knowing that his uh, his old friend uh, Donald Trump would be happy to pardon him. But that's not the case if he's looking at uh, jail time in New York. Again, I don't know if any of this uh, actually moves forward, but the entire idea, which you know, a lot of people were looking at what uh, Trump did with uh, with Joe Arpaio and saying, geez, he's going to just pardon everyone. This is going to end right. up ultimately going nowhere. Well, here's another way uh, <laughs> that that, uh, that prosecutors could short circuit that entirely. Schneiderman, for his part, the uh, New York AG, um, has uh, long had a contentious history, to, uh, to say the least, with Trump. Dawsey reports that uh, Trump has mocked Schneiderman relentlessly, denouncing him as a hack and a lightweight. In other words, you know that that means that Schneiderman was getting close. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that lightweight hack uh, is the same uh, New York attorney general who won a $25 million settlement from uh, Donald Trump. True. Uh, after the, an investigation into the fraudulent practices at his so-called Trump University. 
the New York prosecutor's office is looking into some of Trump's business uh, transactions himself and uh, could potentially share those with Mueller's team, according to one of the people in this report. So this brings up three quick items before we take a quick break and get to our guest. Uh, One, charges brought by Schneiderman in New York would strip Trump of his ability to pardon. That's what uh, Dawsey points out in this article. But it's also interesting because it means that Mueller... If he's sharing info with Schneiderman in New York, uh, that means that even if the president were to fire Mueller in some way or another, as has been reported he would like to do, Schneiderman could just pick up some of those charges himself, bring them in state court against Trump and his team, uh, including Manafort and uh, his his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and Trump himself, all of whom had a whole lot of business in New York that could follow a fall under uh, Schneiderman's jurisdiction, no matter what Trump tries to do at the federal level. And then the third thing, um, I suspect there may be an interest by Schneiderman uh, in bringing some of these charges, given those public attacks by Donald Trump over the years. So, you know, maybe that wasn't a very smart thing to do, Donald. Speaking of not smart public attacks, uh, Trump has also been mercilessly attacking his own party's Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell over the past month. That may not have been so smart either. But after the uh, after the Labor Day holiday, as Congress returns from recess, we are likely to learn how smart that was or wasn't as we gear up for what TPM's Alice Olstein describes as the September from hell. Fantastic. We will head to D.C. to talk to Alice, ask her about all of that and more next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. She always does. No pressure. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. President Donald Trump is promising billions to help. Texas rebuild from Harvey's epic flooding, but his Republican allies in the U.S. House had been looking at cutting almost $1 billion from disaster accounts to help finance the president's border wall with Mexico. The pending reduction to the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA's disaster relief account, is part of a massive spending bill that the House is scheduled to reconsider, or to consider, I should say, when lawmakers return after Labor Day from their August recess. The nearly $1 billion cut included the uh, 1,300-page measures Homeland Security section. The nearly $1 billion cut included in the 1,300-page measures Homeland Security section pays for roughly half the cost of a down payment on a U.S.-Mexico border wall 
that the president had repeatedly promised Mexico would finance. According to AP, it seems certain now, however, that GOP leaders will move to reverse the disaster aid cut when they reconvene with floodwaters swamping Houston right now, the nation's fourth largest city. And as tens of thousands of Texans have sought refuge in shelters, there's only $2.3 billion remaining in FEMA's federal disaster coffer at this time, apparently. As TPM's Alice Olstein reports this week, Congress will be returning to a nightmarishly short calendar during which they must pass a host of bills to keep the government running, including, among many other things, the reauthorization of the Children's Health Insurance Program, or CHIP, which provides health coverage to millions of children in low-income families. That expires on September 30 unless they renew it. According to the Wall Street Journal, Republicans may attempt to use the CHIP deadline as a vehicle to revive their efforts to chip away at the Affordable Care Act and could otherwise try to attach amendments to the must-pass bill to reauthorize its funding. Those are just some of the issues that will very soon be front and center, as Olstein notes, in a Congress where the relationship between the White House and uh, the House and Senate leaders has continued to deteriorate over past months, um, over the past month during summer recess, including reports of a, quote, screaming private phone call between Trump and Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and public callouts at rallies and on Twitter by the president himself sniping at McConnell, who he has targeted for ridicule, blaming him for just how little Republicans have been able to accomplish in 2017. So, yes, Congress's very full plate littered with must-pass legislation and quickly approaching deadlines to avoid government shutdowns and possible U.S. government default and the soured relationship between Trump and the uh, the very Republicans in Congress he must rely on to pass any part of whatever remains of the White House agenda all set the stage for what Olstein portends at Talking Points Memo this week will be a September from hell. Joining us to preview that hell is our friend Alice Olstein. She's a reporter at TPM covering national politics, Congress, and all the hell that comes with it these days. I'd say, Alice, we are delighted to have you back on the broadcast, but for what you predict uh, for the month ahead. Nonetheless, welcome back. Thank you so much. Uh, we we thought it couldn't get any crazier than August, but get ready. Yeah, and August supposed to be the the easy month, the month when and nothing much it was happens. Anything but it it sure was. All right, I want to get to some of that, uh, particularly because I'm going to be ducking out for a, a short holiday break myself. So I sort of wanted to preview uh, what fresh hell Congress and you and I will be returning to after the holiday. Um, but I want. Uh, but first, last time you were on with us a few weeks ago, you were working on an, on some exclusive coverage of how the administration seemed to be working very hard to sabotage Obamacare in a whole bunch of ways, uh, specifically uh, failing to work with many of the outside nonprofit groups, the Latino groups who had organized with the executive branch in previous years to to help encourage Affordable Care Act signups during the uh, during the open enrollment period. Well, I know you've been continuing to work on that, and you got a new piece out on this today in that regard, which seems to indicate that the administration, as I read it, is actually 
not doing anything whatsoever to prepare for or promote this uh, open enrollment period, which begins in November. Uh, you cite sort of four different areas where the administration is seemingly doing nothing. Can you can you quickly summarize that for us where we are? Sure. And even since that piece, there's been some some breaking news. So I just got off a call with people at the Department of Health and Human Services. And uh, after months of being silent on what their open enrollment plans are, we finally got some specifics today. And essentially, they plan to do the very bare minimum required by law to administer open enrollment. They are cutting they, their ad spending, the ads that tell people that it's open enrollment mm-hmm. and how to enroll. Uh, they are cutting that budget by 90%. It was $100 million last year. It's going to be $10 million this year. Wow. Um, and in addition to that, they are cutting nearly in half the funding they're giving to the navigator groups, the people who help people in person mm-hmm. sign up that are struggling, having having trouble navigating the the all the insurance options. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's obviously very confusing. Um, and uh, so they are slashing that funding as well. And, and, so. and that's that's <laughs> money, just to be clear, Alice, yeah. that's money that has been allocated under this law uh, by Congress. A- am I correct about that? In other words, they, yes, yeah. so the navigator funding, um, this, is, this would have been the third year of a three-year grant appropriation. Mm-hmm. And so they were just release the money, uh, but they are withholding uh, a good portion of it. And so they're, they're setting up a system where the amount of money each group gets is dependent on how many people they enrolled last year. So if a group did not meet their enrollment goal last year, if they signed up only half the people they meant they intended to, mm-hmm. they will only get half the funding, uh, sort of mirroring what, uh, what um, conservative groups promote for you know struggling schools it's kind of that same model is there any question uh, you know uh, trump has been saying now for months maybe even years but certainly in the past few months that oh obamacare is failing it's a disaster is there any and and in truth obamacare has been doing uh, actually pretty well by pretty much every measure out there that said is there really any question left here whether Obamacare is failing versus the Trump administration is purposely trying, working hard to make it fail? Well, I think we can predict the impact of this funding decision in particular. The less outreach and the less information that's put out by the administration about open enrollment, the fewer people who will enroll. And this will not only make the insurance pool smaller, it will make the insurance pool sicker and more expensive because people who are sick and really, really need health insurance, they're going to find out how to get it. They're going to do the work. But you really have to convince and go after the young, healthy people and get them to enroll to have an insurance pool that's at all functional. And so the experts I've talked to have all said that this, this, any, anything that cuts back on outreach whether it's abandoning the partnerships, which I reported on a few weeks ago, or this decision on slashing the ad budget by 90% is really going to have an effect of hurting the markets and and, ma- and making insurance expensive for the people who do enroll. And that call you were just off of, uh, that was with HHS, with the Health and Human Services? Yes. And, and, but they, they're going out of their way to say, we are following the law. We're not breaking any law. We are doing, we're following the law, just the very bare minimum of the law. Well, they didn't say that in so many words. They said that they 
want mm-hmm. the funding to be used more efficiently mm-hmm. and that more money doesn't necessarily mean a better program and you know this is going to be a, a results based and there was a lot of sort of businessy uh, language around that. So then, uh, since uh, the open enrollment period begins, what November one is that when yeah. it, when it's okay? And it's been cut in half, and right. the the length of it has been cut in half. So you got to kind of get this done before the end of November. And since they've cut the advertising uh, by mid December. Oh, by mid December. Yeah. And since they, good, thank you. Because since they've cut the uh, advertising for that, I guess we serve as an advertisement for it. Uh, don't forget open enrollment period November to mid December. Okay, uh, Alice. Solstein, uh, going back as as folks uh, come back to Congress, uh, you know, despite the uh, past disaster relief packages, which many from the uh, Republican Texas caucus had either tried to block or insisted on spending offsets elsewhere for in pre after previous storms, I suspect. Uh, and, and Democratic Congressman Hank Johnson, who was on the show with us yesterday, uh, he asserted that uh, th- those Republicans who objected before this time are going to step up and do the right thing by approving quick aid for Hurricane Harvey relief. Do you concur with that uh, assessment, Alice? I don't know. We, we're having such a hard time. So even with a Congress who generally got along and generally got along with the president, it's Gonna, it would have been so hard to pass all of these bills that mm-hmm. are coming up. But we don't have that. We have a president who is attacking members of his own party, leaders in his own party, and in the opposing party. And we have a lot of bad blood, like you mentioned, from people representing states that have experienced natural disasters in the past and were uh, not denied funding, but there was a big fight over it mm-hmm. and attempts to block aid and now those same people are, find themselves in need of the aid, and so there's a lot of bad blood and sniping there. Uh, like you mentioned, a lot of the Texas Congress members whose districts are currently underwater voted in the past against uh, aid for uh, Hurricane Sandy and um, natural disasters in the north. So it is going to be interesting what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of anybody's guess how this is actually going to play out. Uh, to some extent, I'm wondering if... Um, maybe I'm just trying to be optimistic here, but I actually wonder, maybe this disaster, maybe it'll pull some people together. Maybe they'll realize they have to get something done. Uh, is, is that uh, crazy to think that uh, this somehow might actually change things for the better in the House or Senate? I don't think it's crazy, and I think before Congress left town, you saw Congress increasingly ignoring the president altogether, Mm -hmm. ignoring his threats, ignoring his demands, and just getting the business done. Uh, In the spring, they passed a temporary budget, so that has kept the government running Mm -hmm. so far. They made concessions, made deals, came together, did not give Trump any of what he had demanded in terms of border wall funding or in terms of deep cuts to domestic programs. They just ignored the president. They wrote a budget. They got it done. Uh, you saw with Russia sanctions as well, ignored the president, worked together, Democrats and Republicans, House and Senate, got it done. So it is possible. Whether it will happen, I'm not sure. Are you getting a sense, and I don't even know if you're, you, you know, if enough of them are yet back in town for you to know, but um, 
Uh, the uh, so-called Freedom Caucus, the right-wing Freedom Caucus, has been uh, promising, saying that you know we're, we are going to get this uh, funding done, this one, at least this down payment, $1 billion for that wall. Uh, no matter what, Trump has uh, threatened to shut down the government uh, if, if he didn't get it. This was uh, at his bonkers rally in Phoenix now a week or so ago. Um, but if that money was coming out of FEMA's budget... I mean, is there any appetite in the uh, so-called conservative Freedom Caucus for uh, such a shutdown at this point over border wall funding when we're talking about taking money out of FEMA to do it? No, I, I mean, I think you have people across the board from the most conservative to the most progressive saying we have no appetite for a shutdown, no interest in a shutdown. Republicans know that look, they took the blame for the last shutdown. They would definitely take the blame for this one, controlling every branch of government. Um, and they know that shutdowns cost the government a lot of money in the end. And so if you're making like a fiscal conservative argument, this is not a good look. And so you have even members of the Freedom Caucus saying it is not worth shutting down the government to get this border wall funding. And you are now starting to hear some talk of kicking the can to the end of the year so we could have this whole fight again in December. Merry Christmas. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, because they have to pass this federal budget by the end of September, uh, either a long-term budget or just a short-term stopgap, which would then right. mean that we're facing another one of those uh, Christmas, New Year's fiscal cliffs again? It's very possible. And at this point, even, even House Speaker Paul Ryan is saying that all we can hope for this time is a short-term budget. There just isn't time. Congress spent so many months not repealing the Affordable Care Act that they didn't get the hard, painstaking budget work done in time and for the, the September deadline. And that is separate from the, the debt ceiling extension, uh, which, which has to be passed in order to avoid defaulting on what Congress has already uh, authorized previously. I believe that had to be done by the by at least by the end of September. And now with all of this uh, additional emergency um, uh, spending that they're going to have to do, that will make that uh, the, the, the need to vote to extend the debt ceiling even more immediate in just the next week or two in September, correct? Absolutely. And you have what I think is very interesting. You have members of the administration and Republican leaders in Congress now calling for a clean debt ceiling hike, whereas in past years under Democrat administration, Democratic administrations, there were efforts to use the debt ceiling as leverage to get policies that they would otherwise not be able to right that they, because it's a must-pass bill, so they attach exactly. these poison pills. So you get you get the sense that neither Democrats nor Republicans are going to try to do that. They're just going to pass this uh, extension at this point and put it behind them. Who knows? I mean, yeah. this has been an incredibly unpredictable year, so I am not making any predictions. But <laughs> I, I, I think just like with the budget and the threat of a shutdown, Republicans who are trying to show that they are able to govern do not want this on their hands, do not want a disaster and a all default. Uh, they certainly don't want a default, although uh, who knows what the uh, what the Freedom Caucus may decide to do. Um, but uh, that then all comes on uh, on top of these tax cuts that uh, uh, Trump has been out talking about, even while the storm uh, and you know people are drowning in Houston. He's out there 
pimping his tax cut uh, scheme um, very generally, going into no specifics. Uh, but this is something that the Republicans very much in the House and the Senate want to see done in order to salvage any part of their agenda before we get into the election year. Uh, correct? Is there, is there any chance? What, what's the outlook for the tax cuts this year, <laughs> Alice? <laughs> I have been told by several experts that they see tax cuts, even even though it's, you know, Republicans' longtime dream and forever goal to cut taxes uh, as being an even heavier lift than the health care reform, which, as we saw, ended up going down, although, you know, very narrowly. So, mm-hmm. um, but they, they say it's a heavier lift than the yes, uh, health care repeal? Yes, there are just so many different special interests who are all, all going to be lobbying the crap out of this. And it, the administration, is, as we saw reported by Bloomberg, is not presenting a plan, is not writing a bill. There is no... President Trump gave a whole speech about a tax plan that doesn't exist. That's why it didn't really have any specifics. Which is just continues to be amazing. Um, but so much of this obviously does. His, his threats to... Uh, Fellow lawmakers, uh, you know, obviously the sniping against uh, Mitch McConnell, that strained relationship uh, and his threats to his fellow Republican lawmakers like Alaska's Lisa Murkowski, Maine's Shelley Moore Capito during the health care fight. Uh, Those attacks, those threats don't seem to have worked in the past. Um, Are you getting any sense? uh, Are we seeing uh, more of the same as we head back into uh, into session? Or do you expect a change in strategy from the White House, who I would think would notice that, oh, those threats that, uh, you know, that that hammering that uh, Trump had been doing didn't work the last time. Any, uh, you know, any uh, sign that he's learned a lesson yet? I don't know, because I think that when the president has lashed out and targeted specific members, from all of the reporting I'm seeing, it's more of an impulsive, angry response. Uh, He will see a lawmaker on TV criticizing him, and he'll take to Twitter. (laughs) So I don't think it is so much a strategy as an emotional response. He can't help himself. Uh, Well, they say women are too emotional to be president, so I don't know. (laughs) Are are you attacking the president of the United States? I'm just just noting that, you know, we have interesting gender standards. Okay. Uh, Indeed. What's the, uh, before I let you go, Alice Olstein, um, any other must-pass legislation that has to somehow get through in September that there are uh, remaining questions. I mean, there's obviously questions about all of this, but uh, any uh, particular thing that, that, that you're concerned about, or is this just a day-to-day thing at this point? Well, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the Children's Health Insurance Program, CHIP, and efforts to possibly attach this, that, or the other policy. Both mm-hmm. Democrats and Republicans have things they want to pass, and Everyone recognizes that CHIP needs to get reauthorized by the end of the month. Also, the flood insurance program, which has obviously come to the forefront amidst horrible flooding in Texas and the need to properly fund that program. So there's there's just so much. And, and that in was, that was, to that, that, that was um, coming up anyway, right, for uh, It was coming up anyway, but yeah. now everyone has, has their mind on, on the need for that program. Yep. And, and the other, you had mentioned there was one other thing? Oh, yeah. So um, Republicans and Democrats in the Senate have said that they want to pass something 
in September to stabilize the Obamacare insurance market, mm. some sort of stabilization bill, perhaps appropriating the cost-sharing subsidies, which the president keeps threatening to cut to ensure some sort of stability in the markets going forward. Now, whether they'll be able to pass something, whether the president will veto it, whether they'll try to attach it to CHIP, whether they'll try to attach it to the debt ceiling, I mean, we just don't know. There's so many permutations that could happen, but a lot of moving pieces to keep our eyes on. And as you report, they uh, may have trouble passing it alone because Trump would likely veto it, so they have to sort of sneak it into one of these other bills if they're going to get it passed. Maybe, or magically put together a veto-proof majority to pass it, which, I mean, both seem very difficult at this point. They do, but it would be nice to see them pull together. We'll go with that as we uh, look forward and prepare for the September from hell that uh, probably uh, lies ahead of us. Alice, thanks for that uh, preview. If you're able to come up for air at any time during that uh, month of September, we'll always be glad to to talk to you. But uh, good luck when they come back. Thank you. Happy to join anytime. Thanks, Alice, and thanks for joining us today. You can follow Alice's work at TalkingPointsMemo.com or on the Twitters at Alice Olstein. All right, quick break, and we're back with uh, the latest on uh, Hurricane Harvey and the fallout there in our Green News Report and maybe a good news item or two to send us off towards the holidays. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi, I want to get to our uh, Green News report here. It has been such a uh, a hellish week for so many people. It continues to be a hellish week. Uh, It's going to be a a hellish month, uh, several months, I'm afraid, for a lot of the folks in Texas and Louisiana. Um, Never mind the uh, silliness and nonsense that's going on in Congress. Uh, but as uh, we're going to have Angie's going to be in for us uh, on our next episode. So I want to uh, try to get out of uh, this one with some good news. So let's get to it. Our latest green news report and then a quick item of good news. It's amazing. Here in 100 miles east is a disaster zone. And today we've got blue skies. Widespread devastation in the wake of record breaking Hurricane Harvey. This is going to get worse before it get better. 
But the hardest work is just beginning. A plant up near Baytown, Texas, is at risk of exploding. That is their word, not mine. It is not hyperbole. Explosions rock flooded Texas chemical plant. Plus, looking ahead, looming battles in Congress over disaster relief and flood insurance. All of those disasters and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Congress must ensure that a catastrophe of nature does not become a catastrophe of debt for our children and grandchildren. Oh, hello, Congressman Mike Pence from 2005. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I realize the clear skies over Houston uh, offer welcome relief for Houstonians, but as one meteorologist said, this is just the end of the beginning. Yes, Hurricane Harvey continues to wreak havoc. It is now officially the worst rainfall event in U.S. history. That's according to the National Weather Service that says Harvey dumped nearly 52 inches of rain on Houston. Harvey's second landfall on Wednesday at high tide inundated the town of Port Arthur, Texas and points east. Harvey is likely to be the costliest natural disaster in U.S. history. A third of the greater Houston region is flooded with rescue and recovery operations ongoing, retired Lieutenant General Russell Honore, who led the Hurricane Katrina recovery effort, warned on CNN that the death toll will rise as more victims are found. This is going to get worse before it get better. We have not seen the worst of this yet. My estimate, from my experience here in America and around the world, uh, the worst is yet to come in terms of the, the, the outcome, which means... Uh, people stuck in the home and, and, they, and the we can't get them out. Will, will you and they're us? isolated. In Crosby, Texas, about 30 miles northeast of Houston on Thursday, explosions rocked the Arkema chemical plant, crippled by flooding. The plant lost backup power, critical for refrigerating volatile chemicals. The company and local police insist the materials are non-toxic, but FEMA director Brock Long referred to the smoke plume as, quote, incredibly dangerous. So either one or the other. Got it. Officials are warning about long-term public health impacts, toxic pollution in the floodwaters, the high risk of mosquito and waterborne diseases, mold, and damaged roads and bridges. 32,000 people are in temporary shelters. The entire region will be grappling with the impacts of Hurricane Harvey for years. Looking ahead, members of Congress soon will return to the Capitol from August recess. They're faced with the urgent need to pass federal emergency disaster relief. The big question is whether it will become a political football. No, not my Congress. After Superstorm Sandy in 2012, Texas Senator Ted Cruz and House Republicans voted against disaster funding for northeastern states, falsely claiming, according to fact checkers, that the legislation was loaded with unrelated spending. And it wasn't loaded with unrelated spending. Some of the spending would take place down the road because it takes time for officials to uh, draw up new plans for new buildings and so forth. But Ted Cruz was absolutely wrong. And as a Houston resident, I suspect he'll have a different outlook when he comes back to Congress after the holiday. And in 2005, after Hurricane Katrina, for the first time, Republicans demanded spending cuts in exchange for federal disaster relief 
funding. Here's Vice President Mike Pence back when he was an Indiana congressman. Let's figure out how we're going to pay for it. Congress must ensure that a catastrophe of nature does not become a catastrophe of debt. So if we can't cut elsewhere to hell with disaster victims, again, I think now Vice President Mike Pence may have a different outlook. Congress also faces a deadline to reauthorize the troubled National Flood Insurance Program by September 30th. The program is $24 billion in debt due to previous flood events, and previous efforts to reform the program have been repeatedly blocked by the real estate industry, home builders, and development interests. Finally, a few weeks ago, when President Trump revoked President Obama's updated flood standards for new federal infrastructure, Trump also reinstated disaster aid rules that require rebuilding to the exact same design as before. That blocks officials from rebuilding a flooded structure, say, to a foot higher to avoid the next flood. They have to rebuild it the same way it was. Thanks, President Trump. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. We'll see if uh, now that Ted Cruz and Mike Pence have to sort of look at these issues from both sides. We'll see if that makes see if that makes any difference. Uh, Des, some uh, news uh, yet? A, a, a quick well, just follow a quick up follow up, on, up yeah. on that thought right there. It does yeah. seem to be overall that Republicans in general don't seem to really care about such policies until they're actually personally affected. And it's not just policies like this. It's sort of all policy. Remember when yeah. Dick Cheney, uh, he, he cared about uh, marriage equality because his daughter was gay. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. People uh, who have a, yeah. who suddenly have a, their own personal medical ailment and suddenly go, oh, wow, when it matters, this healthcare industry is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. When it suddenly matters to them, suddenly uh, they care. Republicans do seem to have a thing or two about that. All right. Uh, before we get out, Des, uh, this is a story that was uh, too late for today's Green News. Actually, couldn't have fit it in anyway. True. But um, some actual good news yes, that uh, uh, you can take us out with here today. Yes, over at Climate Progress, our friend Joe Rome says, This week, Duke Energy Florida announced it will terminate all plans to build its Levy Nuclear Project. What? Yeah, so as part of a deal with the Florida Public Service Commission, the public utility, the company will instead invest $6 billion in solar energy, what? smart meters, and grid modernization, as well as electric vehicle charging stations and a battery storage pilot program. Uh, the move reflects... That's, that's Duke Energy. That's one of the biggest uh, coal power companies. Company, coal companies in yes, the world. Yeah. yeah, they were the ones that were responsible for the Dan River spill in uh, in North Carolina, North Carolina. Uh, yeah. a couple of years ago. So that move, as Joe mentions, uh, reflects global trends that see surging growth for solar power as prices plummet while nuclear becomes increasingly uncompetitive. So this is a, this is a pretty big deal. It looks like solar could Actually, global solar capacity could equal nuclear power capacity by the end of this year. By the end of this year? By the end of this year. 
Wow. And that was Duke Energy. Where were they going to build that? That was in Florida? Yeah, that's in Florida. And what Duke Energy has done in the past is they have asked the Public Utility Commission in Florida, hey, we want to build this nuclear power plant, but it's really expensive. So can we go ahead and charge customers starting now? giving them a rate mm. increase now. And so customers in Florida have been paying for this. Customers of Duke Energy have been paying for this nuclear power plant for a couple of years now. Oh, so, they, they already got the approval oh, and they were got, paying for yeah, it. That's how this utility system works in most states. So this is a big deal. And, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, hopefully it goes through as, and, as said. And, and of course, uh, you know, the government has to guarantee uh, loans for oh, the, yes. uh, and, the it, nuclear injury. The nuclear industry is not backed by the nuclear industry. Wall Street won't touch it. So the taxpayer, the U.S. taxpayer, puts loan guarantees behind all of these nuclear power plants that are have been proposed, that are under construction. And in case there's ever an accident, the nuclear industry has a very small fund. I think it's $75 million to pay for any nuclear accidents. And the taxpayer makes up the rest. Socialism. <laughs> There you go. Socialism, which uh, Republicans seem to be in favor of, uh, you know, in in certain instances when it comes to, for example, nuclear power. And, oh, yeah, when it comes to uh, helping the people of uh, Texas climb out of this mess, all of a sudden you're going to find a whole bunch of Republican socialists. They won't use that word. But, you know, as usual, uh, privatize the profits and... uh, socialize the pain when everything goes south. Uh, Anyway, that's some good news. Yes. We'll take it. We'll take what we can get these days. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. My thanks also to our guest today, Alice Olstein of TPM. And to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download our broadcasts anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can find, follow, and share uh, our work on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. You can also drop me email if you like. Always good to hear from uh, from folks. I'm Bradcast at bradblog.com. And uh, as I mentioned, Angie Coiro is in for us on the next thrilling episode. We will see you, however, uh, after the uh, after the holiday. And my thanks, as ever, to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. All right, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.